Amen. Why don't you be seated? Welcome if you're here at the FaithBridge Live service. Welcome if you're at FaithBridge at home. We're honored and consider it a privilege that you would choose to trust us with your worship time. So glad that you're here today. So why don't you be turning into your Bibles or on your electronic devices to Ephesians. That's where we're going in the New Testament, the little book of Ephesians. And just to reorient you or to orient you if you weren't here last week, we're, we, we started in on a new series that we're calling Reframe. Because from time to time we Christians need a little refresher or we need to get kind of reframed, framed back up as to who we are called to be as Christians. That means as individual Christians and together, like the church, Christians coming together. Especially after things like several weeks ago, the D.C. riots or insurrection. I'm sure that you didn't miss, as my family didn't miss, uh, the Jesus Saves banners and Ichthus flags uh, out there and people carrying crosses and the blaring Christian music. All the while... There's other people there erecting uh, gallows and, and planting pipe bombs and plotting to kidnap political leaders and even a cop who gets murdered. That's a lot of mixed signals that the world got sent right there, right? And so there's no surprise then that, that there's a lot of people saying, I don't really know what the Christian people believe, especially when you throw on all the social media of today and all sorts of conflicting um, uh, volatile postings that, that are on people, Christians' social media. So that's why we thought, let's just get this framed right back up, and there's not a better book for that than Ephesians. It's not a long book. It's just six chapters. It breaks evenly in half, three chapters, three chapters. The first three chapters say nothing about what you need to do. It says everything about just focuses solely on who you are in Christ. So last week, Pastor Dan preached from the first half. He reminded us that God tells us clearly in that first half, we're chosen, we're adopted, we've been redeemed. Uh, he goes on and says, you've been sealed by the Spirit, you've been lavished with love, you've been saved by grace. All of these great things you read in the first half of Ephesians. Then you move to the second half and you get to the practical stuff. He moves from the principles to the practical in the second half. And he, and he, he proceeds to give us 40 commands about how we Christians are supposed to live. That comes in the second three chapters of Ephesians. So today I want to move to the second three chapters, just right at the very start. Chapter 4, starting verses 1 through 3. That's where we're going to uh, look today. I'm going to read to you from the English Standard Version today, the ESV. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's a lot of words that we have to parse out because it's chock full of some important things for us. If you're a note taker, I'm going to give you three today. The first one is this. First thing that we need to know, Christians are called to live a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called. That's what he says right there at the very beginning. And why do you think, by the way, that he threw in that little part about I, a prisoner 
of the Lord. It was just his little friendly way of, of reminding people, hey, what I'm getting ready to tell you in the back half of Ephesians, it's not gonna be easy stuff. Don't think this is light lifting. This is gonna be challenging and it's gonna require some sacrifice, but hey, don't think for a minute that I'm not sacrificing, I'm writing you from prison and I haven't done anything wrong other than testify about Jesus. All right, just a little subtle reminder there that following Christ does have a cost to it. He says, I want you to be worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, that word worthy would have triggered to someone in Paul's age when he was writing in the original language, it would have triggered uh, the concept of a scale, just an old-fashioned balance scale where things are found worthy. In other words, what he's going to be saying here to us is, Christian, your words, your postings, they had better match your life. If you're saying I'm a Christian, then your actions had better match that. Sometimes you find Christians, or at least professing people who say they're Christians, and they use big weighty words. Yeah, and they'll say, praise the Lord, and I've been bought by the blood, brother, and all these sorts of things. And, and, but then you look at their life, and it's, it's very superficial. You look at their relationships, you look at their ethics, you look at their morals, and you're like, big hat, no cattle. There's a problem here. There's not a worth or a worthiness. He's saying, I want you to be found worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's saying, your words need to match your actions. The mythic uh, world conqueror, Alexander the Greek, the, the Great, uh, it's, it's said of him that he was inspecting, surveying his troops one day. And as he was going by, he came upon a shabbily dressed soldier. And Alexander the Great stepped up to that shabbily dressed soldier and said, what's your name? And he said, Alexander, sir, to which Alexander the Great said, well, then, Alexander, either you need to change your ways or change your name. What was he saying? He was saying, you're not living up to the name, Alexander. So either don't call yourself that or you better change. And I suspect Jesus might very well be saying that to any number of Christians nowadays as well because there's so many self-professing christians who are shabby spiritual misrepresentations of who christ is and the downright embarrassment to the cause of christ paul's saying christians don't live like that you have to live worthy of the calling to which you've been called you say okay great i want to but how do i what does that mean I need to do? Sign up and take a seminary course, learn Greek, learn Hebrew, take up social justice calls, care for the victim and the disenfranchised, worship a little bit more passionately, raise my hands a little bit, dance a little bit in the aisles, you show I'm really into it. What, what is it that would help you, God, to know that I'm living worthy of the calling to which I've been called? None of those things, although none of those things are necessarily bad, good things. No, he says it right here, he tells us. Here's what it means. Second thing, if you're taking notes. Christians have got to learn how to get along with each other. You've got to learn how to get along with each other. He says it right there in verse 2b. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He's just saying, hey, 
If you want to live worthy of the calling to which you've been called, you've got to learn to get along with each other. That's what he's saying. Sort of like if you have kids and you've ever gone on a road trip and, you know, you're going along all day and it doesn't take very many hours before from the back seat you hear one of the kids saying, Dad, he's touching me or he's hitting me or he's looking at me weird. And finally, you just want to say, for the love of God and all that's holy, could you guys just be quiet and get along back there? And that's what Paul is saying to the Christians here in Ephesus and what he's saying to us today as well. You say, well, that shouldn't be so hard, right? Two Christians, people who've both been saved by grace, who've been bought by the blood of Christ. You know, that shouldn't be too, too hard. They have that common link, that bond, right? Right. Only thing is, it's not so easy. Test it out. Put two of them in two cubicles, the office next to each other, just sit right next to each other, where they overhear each other's conversations on the phone, where they hear each other smacking their food or their gum. And, 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 you know, Christians can get a little annoyed with other Christians. Or put them in the same small group, like we're signing up for right now with open en- the, the, the enrollment to get in grow groups. And after a few weeks, you've, you've been in that circle and you look across, it seems like every week, that same guy or that same lady sitting across from you. And you're like, I just can't figure out why during the Bible study you always sit there with your mouth Close your mouth. Why do you always sit there with your mouth open? It can get a little bit annoying, Christians can. Or take two Christians who, <clears throat> well, maybe they've just decided they're going to live under the same roof for 30 or 40 or 50 years because one day they said for better or for worse, for richer, for poor, and sickness and health. Now test it out. Is it so easy for Christians who've both been saved by grace and bought by the blood of Christ to get along? Not so easy now, is it? And that's why Paul is saying, you're going to have to work at this. This is not going to be easy. You're going to have to roll up your sleeves and you're going to really have to commit yourselves to doing everything you can to make every effort at bearing with one another in love, love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, at this point, some people, at some point, at this point, some people say, "Well, then I'm out. I can't do it. I just, I won't get married, or I won't join a church, or I'm not going to get a grow group because I'm too selfish. I'm too individualistic. You know, at least I'm being honest, right?" To which Paul would say, "Nonsense. That's a quitter mindset." He's saying, no, 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 I'm calling you to press in and to do the work because nothing shows a skeptical world better what Jesus can do in a person's life than when you take Christians who have differences about them, who have different backgrounds, different preferences, different opinions, and you bring them together and somehow, notwithstanding all of those differences, because of the bond of Christ, they can actually lock elbows together and protect each other and speak edifying words about each other. A world of skeptics looks at that and says, okay, now that's got my attention. That's unique. I might like to know a little bit more about that. That's why he's saying, you're going to have to roll your sleeves up and I want you to work at this because when non-believers can see that, it makes an impact. When non-believers can see a group of Christians who understand that their first loyalty is to Christ, more than anything else, even more than whether some of them voted for Trump or some of them voted for Biden, or if you're watching in a different country, whoever the popular candidates are in that country, that Christ 
reigns above all for Christians. Now that starts to get people's attention. I can't do it. Yes, you can. Christians have been learning how to do it for 2,000 years. In fact, you go back to the first small group, Jesus' small group with his original 12. If you do a little study of the original 12, you find out some interesting things. Chief among them, they were not all cut from the same cloth. They were not all from the same background. For example, you take Matthew, the tax collector. Now, you know what we can know about Matthew's politics? Right there. We can surmise, okay, He was a tax collector. He was a big government, left-wing, heavy tax them, Jewish sellout to the Roman government. Okay? So you had him over here on this side. And then Jesus goes and he picks another guy and brings him into the 12 called Simon. Not Simon Peter, the other Simon. Simon the Zealot. Now, the fact that they called him Simon the Zealot, what does that tell us about him? Oh, he was a far-right-wing, conservative, extremist, pro-Israel kind of guy. Now, you put them both in the same group. Don't you think that was interesting? And Jesus said, now, here's the deal, guys. We're going to be in the same small group for three years. We're going to camp out a lot. And you two, you're going to be tent mates a lot because that's the only way you're going to learn how to get along with each other. But once you've learned how to get along with each other, once you've learned how to love each other as I've loved you first, then guess what? I'm going back to heaven and I'm going to trust the whole thing to you. And you're going to go out and you're going to change the world. And that's what happened. So don't say I can't do it. People have been doing it for 2,000 years. But it is work. Because learning to live worthy of the calling to which we've been called means that we're going to have to learn how to make allowances for other people's irritations and other people's faults. But remember the payoff again. When believers learn to come together and crucify their most selfish tendencies, the onlooking world stands back and says, wow, if I could have a marriage like those two people have, I might actually be interested in learning about that. Or wow, if I could be in a group with some friends that even with differences, they still find a way to find something in common where they love each other and they encourage you. I think I might actually be interested in learning more about what does that inside of them. And that's Jesus. Christians have been getting this right off and on for centuries. In fact, you go back to the early original church and there's a story told of a first century spy who infiltrated into into a Christian community trying to dig up some dirt on the Christians. But after a while of infiltrating, he came out and the only thing he could say about him was, behold, how they love one another. My concern is that there's a lot of skeptics today infiltrating and looking in at Christianity and Christians, and they would say, behold how they lacerate one another. Which isn't an indictment on Christ. It's an indictment on the Christians, on the Christians, on us, because we've given our heart and our loyalty to something else than Christ. And we're not living worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And so you say, okay, well, I I want to live worthy of the calling to which I've been called. And so I, I want 
to uh, learn how to do this right. Bearing with one another, unity of the spirit. But how do I do it? He's going to tell us right here. He's going to give us three words in verse two. The three words are humility, gentleness, and patience. And so if you're a note taker, this would be like two A, B, and C. Humility. That's the first one. Because you know the best way to destroy a community is to put a prideful person or two in. Somebody who says, I'm so great, or even who doesn't just say it, but they just sort of act like, you know, I'm, a, I'm just a cut above the rest of y'all. That begins to sabotage unity right there. Humility, by contrast, comes about when someone begins to consider other people's needs and interests before their own. So last week, one of my mentors announced his, his uh, imminent retirement. Dr. Ed Robb, founding pastor and senior pastor of the large Methodist church up in the Woodlands for 43 years. And back in the 90s, I got to be one of his associate pastors. I learned so many things from him, but I'll tell you one thing I learned more than any, perhaps, is humility. Because Dr. Robb, the great thing about him was he, he never insisted about be, on being the star of the show. And I can't tell you how many times he and I would be walking somewhere together across the campus outside and maybe a piece of, of trash had blown onto the property and he would bend down and he'd pick up the trash. I remember early on, he looked at me and he said, Ken, if you're not willing to pick up the trash, people won't be willing to follow you. Well, after two or three times of learning that lesson, whenever I saw trash, I'd reach down and pick it up first. So show him I already I'd learned that lesson now. And I remember by my fourth or fifth year, he said, I want you to preach even more. And he started stepping aside and pushing me up and, and saying, I want you to learn how to do a whole four-week series. I'm going to give you a whole month of, you know, whatever. And I remember saying, wow, that's very nice. Thank you. And it can be heady stuff to be preaching to several thousand people when you're just in your 20s week after week. And I would thank him, and he would say, ah, Ken, it's fun watching you grow and seeing who God's made you to be. And one day, you'll do the same thing for some other young people who come after you. Humility. That's the first thing. Paul says, if, if, if you want to learn how to do this, you're going to have to, first of all, you're going to have to commit yourself to learning Humility. If you want a secondary text, you could look at Philippians 2, 3 through 5. I won't take the time to read it, but that's one of the great ones. And then B, gentleness. That's the second word that he gives us. After humility, you're going to have to learn gentleness. What is gentleness? Gentleness is, is power under control. It's the active choice not to explode, not to explode at other people in anger. Even if you know I'm right and you're wrong, I'm not going to uncork on you. I'm going to be gentle instead. When I think of gentleness, I think of, uh, of a men's retreat that I went on, gosh, about 25 years ago. And I, and I knew it was going to be interesting from the get-go because there was about 100, 120 guys. And among them, there was two of them. There was two guys, one older guy and a younger guy. And the older guy's wife had had a brief affair with the younger guy's wife. And they were both on the retreat. And it wasn't exactly a secret. I mean, it's kind of gotten out there. 
And I remember thinking, this is going to be a really interesting retreat. Well, they two, the two of them kind of stayed clear of each other for, for, I would say, most of the weekend until the third and the final day. And I happened to be at the right place at the right time, and I looked over, and I saw these two, that, and they were walking towards each other. And face-to-face, -face, finally, they're about three feet from each other. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord, here it comes. They're going to go to blows. And that's not what happened. In that moment, the older one reached out his arms like this and enfolded the younger one. And they both wept and cried. By this time, some other guys had gathered around. I think they were gathering around because they were like, fight, fight, fight. You know, but that's not what they got. They got something that caught us all off guard. And so everybody started clapping and woo! Only God could do that. Gentleness. Gentleness is having the power to take revenge, but refusing to do so. You want to learn how to get along? You're going to have to learn how to be gentle. You've got to be humble. You're going to have to learn to be gentle. And then the third one, patient. Patience. There's an old English word for patience. It was long-suffering, which really makes a lot of sense because it just simply means that a person is willing to suffer long for the sake of another person, to have a long fuse for somebody else. That's long-suffering. That's patience. It's sort of like a, a dog. If you've ever seen a, a, a larger dog, a mama dog, you know, and, and maybe there's a, a little batch of puppies. And sometimes those puppies, they're, they're hyper and they're energetic and they're naive and they're, they're jumping around and yapping at the, at the big dog. But if that big dog is, is secure in herself, she's just able to march along and bear the little puppy's um, impertinence patiently, not killing the dogs, the little puppies, but just showing patience. And in a very real way, you and I, we were all once young, yapping puppies as well. And I bet if you would think back in your journey, you might think of someone who showed you some patience along the way. And just that reminder might help you to find some new strength for being patient, for being long-suffering with another Christian. Most of all, <laughs> the biggest dog of all, God. God showed us his loving, forbearing patience. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so he's modeled this for us. Billy Graham and his wife, Ruth, years ago were driving and, and they came on the highway to one of those patches where construction can find you down to just one little narrow lane. It takes forever to get through, right? And when they finally came through on the other side, Ruth said to her husband, Billy, I just found the words that I want someday on my tombstone. He's like, yeah. She said, yep. I want my tombstone to say what I just saw on a sign. End of construction. Thanks for your patience. And her tombstone does say that. Which might not be a bad phrase for all of us to borrow and use liberally. 
I'm under construction. Thanks for being patient with me. Because I bet if you could thank people for being patient with you, you might find a little bit more capacity to be patient with them and with others who name the name of Christ. So when Christians live with humility and gentleness and patience with one another, there's a forbearing love that comes about and outsiders say, I like being with you. It feels safe, it feels good, it feels like heaven. That's who we were always called to be. But there's one last problem we have to hit. And this is number three. You can't do it. I can't do it. Not on our own strength. Oh, maybe for a few hours we can have a good run where we're like, you know, I've actually been humble. I've actually been gentle. I've actually been patient. I'm on a roll. It's only 10 in the morning, but so far so good. You know, <laughs> we can't do it consistently, not day after day. Which leads us to number three, and that is our only hope for getting along with others is found in the gospel. Only in Jesus. Go back now to the first half of the Bible, or, or, or of Ephesians. Remember, the first half is on who you are. Who are we? Who does Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tell us that we are? We're saved by grace. That's who we are. We're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one could boast. Now, if by grace you've been saved, then let me ask you a question. What did you do to deserve to be saved? Nothing. <laughs> totally nothing. Yeah, but I tried. No, no, no. That's not what saved you. God chose to save you by his amazing grace. And he did it all humbling himself and taking the form of a man, coming into this world to live the life we couldn't live of sinless perfection, dying the death of punishment on the cross that we all deserved, that he might conquer the grave on the third day, that we too could overcome death and experience life everlasting. And so, you know what that means? Here's what this means, friends. This means if you ever come upon a Christian duking it out with another Christian, or if you are that Christian, duking it out physically or emotionally or verbally, um, you're not living up to your calling by which you've been called. A saved by grace, Christian, you're living beneath who you were called to be. You say, yeah, the problem is, I, I know this, but I just forget. Yeah, that's right, we forget. And that's why we have to go back to the gospel. You say, but I've got the gospel. Ken, I, got, I trusted Christ 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 18 years ago. I got the gospel. No, you don't have the gospel. Oh, maybe you have the gospel up here. Maybe you could articulate Christ came and he died and 
after living the perfect life and he conquered the grave. You can articulate that, but it's only up here. If you're still being harsh and impatient and proud, it's not gotten down here. You haven't remembered, you forgot. You forgot what he's done for you. But you gotta remember, because if you remember, then you too will find the grace to have for others. And that's what he calls us to. We've gotta re-gospel ourselves. And by re-gospel ourselves, I'm not saying you have to go out and get saved again and get saved again every day. No, no, no. If you trust in Christ, you did that. But we do have to go back and rehearse the gospel daily, sometimes hourly, especially if we're going into a tense meeting. We just came out of one and said, okay, the Lord just remind me, I am saved by grace and I didn't do anything to earn it. But you favored me with your grace. Help me to have grace for this person as well. Because if you can, and if you will, I'm telling you, onlookers, skeptics from the outside will look in on us and say, now you've got my attention. Now I am actually interested in learning more about Christ, learning more about your church, learning more about being part of your small group, learning how to have a marriage like yours because it's winsome and it's compelling. That's what God wants for us to be as followers of Jesus. That's what I want for all of us who are faith bridgers. But that's just for faith bridgers. That's what we want for Christians all across our land and all around the world. And so I say, let's let him reframe us into who we were always meant to be, living worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks for the words that Paul gives to us in Ephesians. They are indeed challenging. They give us plenty to work on. But by your grace, we can be who you've called us to be. Lord, my prayer is that you would work inside of us, all of us, even now. Uh, friends, maybe in this quiet moment, you have a confession that you just need to make to the Lord silently, a point of pride or point of harshness, point of impatience, lack of love, where you've been the big dog snapping or clobbering a smaller yapping puppy. And maybe you just need to, to say, God, forgive me. Why don't you just make that confession to him right now and ask for his grace and forgiveness? Lord, my prayer is that you would fill us full of your spirit, that you would remind us daily, re-gospel us daily of what you did for us while we were yet sinners, that we might in turn have such amazing grace for others. We ask all of these things in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord.
Amen.